previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. So I go back and forth with Chuck Todd, and I go, and I say at one point, my last text to Chuck Todd is, so you're saying we have a chance? <laughs> and I get a text this morning, I didn't stay up. What, what I didn't know. What happened? Kyle Finnegan. So they had a two-run lead going into the eighth. That quickly uh, goes down to one. They're like, trust me, this is fine. Finnegan comes out who has experience closing games, and I think he gives up a few home runs in four pitches. He gives up three home runs in the top, right, it's the, it's top the, of the ninth. It's the first two that really did you. Yeah, because yeah, you're done. Yeah. You're losing. You're not, you're not coming back from that. The third one doesn't really matter. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because the Nats this weekend were in Colorado. I cannot name a single person on the Colorado Rockies. None. Once Nolan Arenado left, I don't know anybody on that team. It's not a good team. The Nats split the series. But in all the years that I have watched the Nats, when they became a pretty good team, starting with the middle of the Jason Worth contract, right? their problem has always been the same. It's been a lack of bullpen. It's always been the exact same problem. Their hitting hasn't been a problem. Their fielding hasn't been a problem. Their spirit hasn't been a problem. Their bullpen has been a problem. They won the World Series because the starters went into the, the bullpen. bullpen. Yeah, the starters went into the bullpen. Max Scherzer... Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg. They went into the bullpen for the World Series and the playoffs. And they did it again yesterday. They had a lead and they gave up a lead. doesn't matter who the relievers are. And in the last eight to ten years, Michael, 50 relievers? Uh, 50 different relievers? 50 is a lot. 40 different relievers? Probably cycling through 40. I mean, you're getting they all six stink. to eight every year that you don't know. They all stink. <laughs> and, they, you know, there's, and that's why they lost yesterday. The bullpen couldn't hold it again. So, I, you know. I'm uh, surprised you don't remember Chris Bryant, but uh, what do you think of the I Rockies? I remember Chris Bryant. He's the guy. Yeah, he started with the Cubs. Oh, you sure. Know, but yes, I remember Chris yeah, Bryant. You can't build around Arenado, but you bring him in. Uh, right. what, are your, what are your thoughts on the uniforms? I like the Colorado uniforms, yeah. the green uniforms. It looks like the, a festive Coors Light. Yeah, I, it, it looked like the Rocky Mountain um, skyline in the background. I actually like those. I, I thought those were pretty good. I never saw. Who's got green? I mean, does anybody have green? Does anybody use green? As a, like a primary home or away, I don't yeah, think so. No, I mean, I don't think so. And they're yeah. pretty good. They're they're pretty good unis. Okay, so I wanted to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about the Masters all day with Wilbon and Chuck Culpepper. But Michael, your particular thoughts on the Masters? Uh, my particular thoughts are this is in many ways the the outcome that the golfing world wanted. You had a live player and you had a PJ Tour player, but you had two of the I would say quieter voices who have been a little bit more understanding. Brooks Kepka talks about, yeah, I miss playing against guys like Scotty Scheffler and uh, Rory, and I see some of these guys at home, and Rory went out of his way to, pl- uh, to play nine holes of a practice round with Kepka. So I think you're seeing, uh, you know, you're, you're definitely seeing a, a mutual respect between some of those players. Uh, I think the bigger story is not necessarily that Brooks Kepka lost. This is, I think, the first time that he has lost a 54-hole lead, but it's a, it's a bit of an asterisk there just because of what that 54-hole lead was looking like, where they were one-third of the way through their third round when play was called, and he was facing an 11-footer for par, and Ron was facing a 9-footer for birdie, and immediately it's a two-shot, two-shot swing, swing as you were heading to the pivotal second nine. I think John Rahm won the Masters in that, uh, in that stretch between seven through Amen Corner in that third round, where he was getting up and down and one-putting from everywhere and refused to go away. And Kepka, for the most part, was right there. He had an unbelievable chip-out save for par on number 10. They were paired together. Uh, I can't believe they got the tournament to finish when they did. 
It looked like a normal Masters Sunday. Yes. I'd say the distance issue was never really came into play. I was absolutely surprised that the leader of the Masters would take the line around 13 that Jamron did to have a short iron. And you want to go, doesn't matter how much land you buy at the country club next door. These guys are going to figure out a way. And it's almost like the cold weather was just, okay, put that in play. But at the end of the day, if we need to, we can still get on with an iron. They are landing over the water on par fives in a, in a spot that is, you, it's inconceivable that you can do this from the distance that they do it. Right. You're They're talking about it. 15, which is a hole they've had to already lengthen. Yeah. And you talk about, uh, you know, unless Hovland you're... missed. But I, I'll just say this, that Hovland and Cantley had a chance to win this tournament and they receded. They did, and this is a reminder that, for the most part, you, you have to be within those final two groups, which they were sort of on the edge of that going into the, the, you know, the second nine on Sunday. But uh, both of those players, uh, one, Patrick Cantley took his time because he, he was playing for a paycheck. Uh, Sam Bennett took his time, but he's an amateur who is still a little bit you know, out, of, out of his comfort zone. By the way, I hope he used the code because he was geared up in Johnny, yeah, Johnny O. Johnny Blossom, by the way, Johnny all weekend. Uh, it was fun to see an amateur given what the amateur status means for the Masters. It was fun to see an amateur play so well, and it's a, it's a reminder what the pipeline of amateur events, college events, is doing right now for the professional game. All right, so we will talk about that at How about Phil? great length. Well, this is, to me, the headline is that Phil Mickelson almost... Very quiet This early. would have been the greatest story in the history of the sport of golf. If Phil Mickelson, at 52 years old, on... Another tour, never playing 72 holes anymore, closing with a 65 at the Masters on Sunday, and event he's won twice, right? Twice, three times. Three times. Had he won that, had Rom rinsed it a couple of times, and had Phil won that thing, we would be looking at the greatest story in the history of golf. And you look at the power of pairings, which I think so much of Phil's rejuvenation for that final Played round with Spieth. comes from playing with Spieth, who does Spieth-like things every Sunday at the Masters, plays himself out of it early in the week, and then charges. but somehow is there on the first page, you know, in the last couple holes, and he had a, I was saying this to you before the show, he had an interesting line about playing too much of a schedule coming in, which I think is, it's the reminder, PJ Tour Golf, different than major championships, and we're going to have to see how that affects the, the workload of some of these top players who really have to play all these designated events. So a couple of things I want to get to. One is I got a letter. Do you know this name, Gary Edel or Edel? E-D-E-L-L? No, I'm not familiar Edel with that. My Golf? name is Gary Edel, and you do not know me, but I am writing to provide a long overdue thank you. Back in 1996 through 1998, when listeners could still call into your show as long as they did not ask how you are doing. I was part of a fantasy sports show with Billy Carlin and Bruce Murray. You know Bruce Murray. Bruce Murray, yes. <clears throat> called Roto Talk that aired on WTEM every Saturday morning. Fantasy sports was still in its infancy, and we had a small but loyal audience. <clears throat> However, one day on your show, you started making reference to having listened to our show, and the inane discussion of fantasy football made you want to drive into a tree. <laughs> Just mentioning our show significantly increased our listenership as we grew from about 10 people to at least 20, mm. not including immediate family members. And we somehow managed to stay on the air for almost two years. So now I want to say thank you. You've mentioned over the years that you enjoy the darker pretzels and my dad's chips. This is a potato chip company. My dad's chips are made from russet potatoes that are thin sliced, cooked kettle style in a proprietary oil blend that creates a potato chip with a golden brown color instead of the pale yellow color of most potato chips. I hope you accept these chips as a long overdue thanks for making Rototalk the incredibly underwhelming success that it was. So this is my dad's chips. 
So they, it's enough for all of us. We're oh. all going to try them and report back. You've but already given us the lesser flavors in, in, ter- in terms of your index. No, I haven't. I've given you a flavor for the boys' barbecue, but I also have a Which larger... they're going to say is too spicy. Everything is too spicy. I also them. have something large. We're going to see My Dad's Chips are sold in the My DC Dad's area. Chips. That's, fan- that's great. Let me get to one that other really thing. Um, I'm never upset when the Masters goes long because I like watching the Masters. But when the Masters goes long, 60 minutes goes long. And when 60 minutes goes long and there's a Beach Boy show on the air... And it doesn't start until 8.50. That's upsetting to me because that's already past my bedtime. So we have taped the Beach Boys show, which I thought was like the lead into the Grammys, but it's apparently not. It's just a separate show, right, Michael? It's a separate show? Yeah, I think it's part of the Grammys umbrella. Yeah. And so the Beach Boys or the remaining Beach Boys, the living Beach Boys, Brian Wilson, Mike Love, Bruce Johnson, Al Jardine, and some other guy whose work I didn't even know. It was right. in the middle of the group. Who was that guy? Uh, I'm sorry, I missed that. Okay, it was another Beach Boy. I guess he's been with them a very long time. And I'm just unaware of it. If you tell me who it is, I'll probably... In the upper balcony, name. they sort of look like the Muppets. They did look like the Muppets, and they also looked like they were embalmed. <laughs> um, but So the show starts out. Is the name of the group In Your Town? Uh, What's the name of that Little group? Big Town. Little Big Town. So what it's going to be is everybody's going to sing the Beach Boys because they realize the Beach Boys probably can't sing themselves anymore. Everybody's going to sing the Beach Boys. And I don't know who these people are. Um, in your town? Little Big Town. Little Big Town. So they sing Help Me Rhonda, and they do a lousy job. Now I'm angry because they don't do a good job on Help Me Rhonda. And then they bring out Weezer. Should oh. I know who Weezer is? Uh, you probably would not know them, but they're a very, very good group. Like, they were... Um... <laughs> they weren't very good on this. Okay. <clears throat> they were okay. All right. John Legend came out, did Sail on Sailor. It's an obtuse Beach Boy song. It's a great Beach Boy song with the lead was Carl Wilson. But... And John Legend does a great job. And then they brought out Hanson, and Hanson was a pop group of consequence in the 90s. Yes. Okay. And Hanson is three brothers... So they're trying to replicate the Beach Boys sound, and they were okay. I thought they were good. They were okay. Well, Barbara like Ann when they're is performing not a hard in Georgia, song. but yeah, it's not a hard. Barbara Ann's not a hard song. But sort to of do. you're. But that's sort of the issue with trying to get other people to form Beach Boy songs. You're looking at some of the simple surfer songs versus some of these more. So uh, then I went the nuanced to bed. And the weirder songs. I went to bed after uh, that. Do you I have it on stay. tape? Yes. Okay, I'll be interested to hear what you think of Brandy Carlo, who I comes like on her. later. Uh, Leanne Rhymes, who does Caroline No. Oh, and Caroline uh, No is such a great song. And then there's an acapella group. Who does God group. Only Knows? Uh, tr- I'll, I'll look it up. But I, there's an acapella group, Pentatonix, who does Heroes and Villains, which is... Oh, it's a great it's, song. It's ethereal. It's weird. Okay. So good. So I will, I'll get back to it, but that was, that was sort of rough for me. We watched this for you. Yeah. Well, did you like it? Yeah, but it's, it was a reminder. I love the Beach Boys, so I wanted the Beach Boys. Yeah, we play a lot of music in our house, and it was a reminder saying, like, oh, when we're getting dinner prep, like, we should start to just put Beach Boys on. Yeah, so. I will say this um, at the very end of, of the 60 Weezer, minutes. the guy who sings lead on Weezer sort of doesn't move. Like, you have to check his pulse. <laughs> like, you don't know that he's moving. I, I've not seen them live. I've just had some okay. of the music. So he didn't stay up for Fallout Boy. No, I didn't. When they announced at the beginning of the show, Tom Hanks does the intro, right? Which is great. You expect Tom Hanks to be great, and of course he's great. But then they announce all the people that are going to sing the Beach Boys songs, and I have to be honest, I had not heard of the overwhelming majority of them. 
I had not. Do you remember the movie they did? The Brian Wilson movie, like seven, eight That's years ago? That's a great movie. Oh, yeah. So when they're, when they're showing it's a great the... movie. Hmm? And Paul Dano, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. The they both play for, him. The casting for both those uh, characters, like when they're showing the little clips from, uh, you know, the recording sessions... And just the behind-the-scenes footage—it's its its crazy how much they. they the beginning get that of the feel. movie is the, the, they're talking about he's Brian is putting together God only knows, and the father goes, "What is this? Junk? This is the pan out where the dad's sitting on the couch <laughs> what is behind this him." Junk. Well, the, we want Beach Boys. What are you doing here? What are you doing? Like it's it's this symphonic masterpiece. What are you doing? The father, Murray Wilson. Um, yeah, Paul Dano plays that part. John Cusack plays the older. Uh, the older Brian Wilson, and I believe it's based on a book that Brian Wilson wrote. I think you, I think you're right. Yes, you know, it's really a great movie. It's a lovely movie. Yes. What's the name of it? It's something and something for love and it's love and mercy. Love and mercy. Yeah, love and it. mercy. That's it. I yeah. would recommend that. I just, I wanted these people to, uh, you know what? To be honest, I didn't want them to sing any Beach Boy songs. I wanted the Beach Boys. You wanted the Beach Boys. Just show me clips. Tack it up. Tack show it up. me clips. You know, <laughs> that song. Anyway. Unless they could bring out Captain Geach. Captain Geach <laughs> and the Shrimp, Shrimp Shack Shooters. shooters. Yes. Yeah. There is something on 60 Minutes that I almost called you and said, you must be watching this. There was a piece. Sports washing. Well, no. no that, it was, was, that was well-timed. It was, yeah. it was the Deliberately pe- so. <laughs> exactly. Because, no. because yeah. that was not mentioned at the Masters, so directly after Maybe the Masters. Maybe when the production it was mentioned. went away from certain players yeah. for four days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, there's something on the, on the, the web telescope. And, I loved it. Oh, you did see that? Oh, it was brilliant. When the bloke said, I can't remember who said, he's like, we understand about 4% of the universe. Yeah. We know nothing. Yeah. That's no, really. <laughs> and the stuff that we try and know about, we're just pretending. Fascinating. That yeah. was fascinating. That was, that was great stuff. You know, I could have done without the, you know, the reconstruction of Notre Dame. Right. If they cut that and got to the Beach Boys a little earlier, I would have been happy. But that's just me. I'm an audience. You know, I'm not in the demo. I'm not in the demo. We'll take a break. Michael Wilbon will join us. We hope when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a song from Sean Tweedley, who has sung for us before. This is called Once Upon a Time for Amy. And he said, I had a great moment listening to the show a few weeks ago when someone wrote in to explain to you what my song Edith Keeler was about. You read this eloquent, well-thought-out, perfect explanation of how Edith is a fictional character from the TV show Star Trek. He went on to recount the episode in perfect detail and why Edith Keeler's death was so important to the safety of our planet. While you were reading, I was thinking, wow, this is awesome. I wonder what Tony will say after he finishes reading. Will he say, man, this Sean Tweedley is a prolific writer. He's really tapped into something deep here. No, that's not what you said. You took a long, deep breath, followed by a long, deep sigh, and you said, wow, what a bunch of nerds. <laughs> and I think you threw it to Michael from me undies read. Man, I love your show. Once Upon a Time for Amy by Sean Tweedley plays in Michael Wilbon. So you're out there in Arizona and you're watching the Masters as I am watching it in D.C. What did you think of the last round what, or last round and a half? What did you think of Sunday? Well, Tony, Sunday was the one day I watched every, I watched multiple offerings. I watched the broadcast. 
I watched the groups, the favorite groups, because my brother was here, and Don was, you know, a fanatic, and he wanted to stream everything you could stream, which I don't do, but he did. Right. And so I watched everything for whatever offerings there were, starting Wednesday. But but I couldn't watch you know, yesterday. I, I saw very little because uh, we were doing uh, multiple shows on ABC. Oh. Uh, at ESPN for Countdown. And, wow. a pre- and a playoff preview show. So yesterday, um, I saw. Now I saw the end of the third round because that out here that was on at five a.m. Yeah, yeah. But but once the fourth round got started, I was I was also on television by nine a.m. Oh. So there was very little I could see live yesterday. I'd peek in and uh, you know run to another room in the studio out here, sneaky big. And take a look at what was going on, and 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 trying to make. One, I texted you twice. Today. Yeah, so you wanted to know, you know if Ron birdied. He birdied thirteen and fourteen. Yeah, yeah, thirteen and fourteen. So, uh, so I didn't see as much. I saw the part that was certainly. Tel- I'm not going to say television friendly, uh, because there was so little coverage, you know, on on Friday and Saturday. Yeah, rained out uh, because it got rained out. So, but you know, I was watching live when those trees fell, those giant pines. Yeah. Mr. Pines. So fortunate fell, nobody got killed. Watching all of that, yeah. Uh, and then yesterday saw saw, saw less, um, but, you know, was certainly aware of everything going on. And Rom is a uh, Scottsdale guy. John Rom yeah. is an Arizona State uh, and Scottsdale guy. I was in a restaurant uh, Wednesday night, and I said to the general manager there, who was a golf fanatic, I said, who are you rooting for? Because obviously Rahm is not the only Scottsdale guy. He's, just, he's, he's very prominent here. And he said, uh, I'm rooting for Rahm. He's always here. I said, he's always here in the restaurant? Wow. And he said, yeah. And so, but you know, Finau is, is, is a, a Scottsdale guy. There's, there's a ton. Not like Florida. Not as, not as you know, many as the Floridians. But uh, Phil Mickelson could be described that way, even though Phil's also a San Diego guy and, I don't know, now make some, some time in Florida, but Phil had been a Scottsdale guy long before that described to anybody else. But so, it was, Rom was so, so, uh, uh, what's the word? He was so gracious. Yes, Rom comported himself beautifully. Rom, a lot of people fell away. Cantley fell away, and Hovland fell away, and the amateur fell away, and in fact, Kepka fell away. But Rom yeah. won the tournament. Yes, he did. Rom played great. Does it say anything at all to you about the Saudi Tour and the PGA Tour, the way the final leaderboard stacked up? No, nothing. I, I, I you know, you and I had on a disagreement about that when we talked. Uh, we did last at the show, which was Tuesday, and then I'm sure at least one of those times on the phone. I. I I just thought that was like the, the most overblown storyline of the week. Because one, as a viewer, I don't care. It's not like my, I, I don't identify Phil as a Saudi tour guy. He's Phil Mickelson. I, I, so, so I don't have that. I, don't, I didn't care about that. I'm not going to say I've, I'm, I would go as far as Sergio, uh, which was to say, don't even ask me about it. I, 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 I get some curiosity, but for me, it, it had no play. It had no play whatsoever. Whenever they went into deep discussion about that on some other, like I was watching 
Golf Channel, watching some other things. Whenever they got to that, I, I, I flipped away. Yeah, we, we have, a, we have an it. honest disagreement about that because yeah. I think it's a real big deal. And I think the Saudi Tour guys, and their two best guys, Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson, did nothing. But the fact that three guys finished to me in the top five in a 72-hole yeah. event is a big deal to me. It is. Yeah, I, I, they, they, they've been playing 72-hole events their whole lives. I, knew, I didn't believe for one second that Phil Mickelson forgot how to play 72 holes in a weekend. Uh, so, I, you know, so what, why would that be a big deal at this point? To me, to me. Right. Uh, and so... Well, that would have been, the, if he won, I mean, I said this earlier oh, on the show, oh, that would have been the biggest story in the history of golf if he had won. It would have been so huge. History of golf. If he won a second major north of 50. Yeah. I, I, and especially with what has transpired with him personally. Yes. And live yes. golf versus the PGA over the last two years. Yeah. Well, okay. All right. So we have in John Rahm, but he's the best in the world. I yes, mean, he is. he's the best in the world. And he looks, he's 28, I think. He looks like he could be the best in the world for a while. And it's it'd be almost impossible to root against him. I, I know I'm struck by this because, you know, golf was invented in England. And so we sort of think of golf as the British Isles. This is the fourth Spanish player to win the Masters. Yeah. That's really a lot. This is, this is the fourth great Spanish player. Yeah, but I don't know. Four over. Was Seve the first? Yeah. So Seve. Who, who, 40 he, years. My, it's, it's over 40 yeah. years. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, four, I, I, I've been thinking about this because Rom was struck by being told that he was the first to win the British. I'm sorry. The Masters and the U.S. Open. Yeah, the first Spaniard. So ah, four. Ah. Okay. I mean, you know, I, I, Spain ain't that far from the British Isles. Right. It's cl- it's closer than we are. And so I, you know, um, I didn't I didn't think that much of it. I found it curious. I found it curious that yesterday would have been Seve's birthday. Yes. Uh, and that I found that fascinating when Rom was told. Just listening to Rom, I watched. You know, I was off the air by the time I could listen to Rom, both his acceptance right there at Augusta and then watch his press conference. And um, everything that is said about him out here, he's, he's, he's very much embraced here. He's very embraced. Very, it's very warm. Uh, and he seems to have such warm feelings about other people who he goes out of his way to name and talk about their influence. Uh, so good for him. Yeah, yeah, I found it easy for him to root for. He won yes. Olympia Fields, uh, uh, what, a year and a half ago? Uh, won the BMW, and, uh, I, and the BMW's back at Olympia Fields uh, this coming late summer. And so I'm you know, interested to, to see how that plays out, and, and I would presume Rom would be there again at my club there. There are two things to mention beyond Mickelson and how great it is to close at 65 at, at that point at the Masters. Freddie Couples made the cut. He's, yeah, yeah. He's 63 years old. Yeah, Freddie. He made the cut. Yeah. That, and, and the other part is Tiger withdrew. What are your full thoughts of Tiger withdrawing? Because I think you and I may differ on this one. Yeah, I, didn't know, I, don't, I don't need to see Tiger play anymore. Tiger can't play anymore. Can't play. So there's no, I you know, I, you know, you you know, last year, Tony, in real time, 
I know that you wanted him to play and you thought he would. Yeah. And you were right on the thought he would. I didn't think he would, and I didn't want him to. I don't need to see that. I don't need to see Tiger barely able to walk on a golf course for what? Who does that? Who does that enlighten? Who does that satisfy? Who does that impress? And so we had this discussion in my house because I had a, a, a house full here uh, for spring break, and I, I, you know they were like, "Why is he doing this?" And I said, "Well, here's why he's doing it." I said, "You have to understand something." The fact that I think he shouldn't and I wouldn't is why he's Tiger and I'm not. And we can say that about even people who compete professionally. The, the, the makeup, the emotional makeup of people like Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan is so dramatically different from anything you people, meaning the people in my house, understand or know that you can't get this. The fact that he could do this and barely walk, he would crawl to finish if he could. That's why he's Tiger Woods. So, so, so I don't, I'm not under any false impressions when it comes to why Tiger would do it. I just don't want to see it anymore. I don't, I don't have any need to see it. I don't know who could think this is a good thing to watch Tiger like that. What's the point? Yeah, I, I, I've now reached the point on Tiger well, I didn't want to see him enter, you, you know, because I think That's it's a, right. I think it's bad form to withdraw. I do. I think you, I don't think it's bad form. When I you do. Get out there. You give it your best. And then you you I, can't walk. Don't even, you know, I don't think you, his walking is going to get that much better down the road. Well, but is, it, it, Did you see him in the rain? Yes. Okay. It, it wasn't like that when he walked out there. He That's right. Up. But, but there's, you know, you know, the weather, well, I, I don't know. No, you don't. You don't know what's going on. The re- Once again, the reason he's Tiger Woods and we're not yeah. is because he doesn't concede. For him to walk off that golf course and issue that statement, it killed him. So I know I got nothing but admiration for that. That's why he's Tiger Woods. Like when people, when Michael Jordan made the speech he made for the Hall of Fame, acceptance, And people said, why would Jordan do that? Because he's Michael F. Jordan. Yeah. Because if he hadn't done that, he'd be Clyde Dressler. Yeah, you got to be fueled not by to hatred. Diminish, not to diminish other great, great, great yeah. players. But you know what I mean, Tom. Yeah, no, I do. I just, this I just. Was, this is how he became Tiger. Yeah. I don't want it to happen again. You know what I mean? I, I, not so again. Therefore, we don't need to see Tiger Woods play anymore golf. We just don't. Right. I agree with that. I agree with to that. what point? What, what's the point? I agree with that. Um all right, I want to get one basketball question in because I'm going to just pat myself on the back. There was a report two days ago that Luka Doncic is on the verge of saying to the Dallas Mavericks, I want out of here. I believe I had that. I believe that Mark Cuban has, has in his egomania, destroyed his basketball team. What do you think? Um, I don't know about egomania. I, the report was that... that the fear among some in within the Mavericks organization was that Luca would demand a trade. I, I and the report said in 2024. I said on air yesterday on one of those shows, on one of our shows, 2024. What 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 the hell is going to prevent him from doing that the rest of 2023? That's right. He could do it so, tomorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think it's Cuban. They made bad decisions. 
They made lots of bad decisions. First of all, the Dallas Mavericks were the team that decided earlier than most, if maybe earlier than anybody, we want Giannis Antetokounmpo, and we're going to set ourselves up to go after him and get him here. We are the organization of international players, and the Dallas Mavericks certainly led the way. And Golden State was early in that process, too, after the Olympics in the, in the 80s. You know, not after Dream Team, but, but obviously, you know, Dirk and others, they, they, they're set up for it. They scout the internationals. This is what they wanted. They wanted Giannis. Well, Giannis decides he's going to stay in Milwaukee, which shocked a lot of people, probably the Mavericks' chief among them. So they, didn't, they couldn't get him. And I don't know what the plan B was, but whatever it was, it was awful. Because they had another player on their roster who was nowhere near Giannis, but a terrific young player who has now led your New York Knicks to the fifth seed, okay? He is the son of a player, and he may not be as the son of a player as prolific as somebody who was last name is Curry. But Jalen Brunson, who I am really familiar with because I'm certainly bad, and he's a Chicago kid. Jalen Brunson, they could have paid him about $110 million a couple of years ago, and he'd still be there. Because when they got to the conference finals last year, who was with Luka? It wasn't Kyrie. It was Jalen Brunson. Yeah, so they made they it's a bad up. move. They made a bad move. They, you're, they, you're, they, 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 they screwed it up, Tony. They did. And so they didn't sign him. He goes off to Dallas, and now Cuban's blaming his father. Okay, there, there are a lot of father-son acts in the NBA right now. Not all of them are for their fathers. So I don't hear that. And they screwed that up. I think the blame and is Cuban. Then, uh, you and I disagree. It's, 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 it, no, Cubans, it's not about You can blame Cuban because the owner. I'm just saying it's not ego. Cuban, the Cuban's ego is not any bigger than most of the other owners in the league. Cuban screwed up. Let's, let's call it what it is. Right. They misevaluated they did lots of things incorrectly. They got erroneously. And so then, Tony, they let this kid go to New York. And then they trade for Kyrie Irving out of desperation. Terrible move. Because they want to cover the mess. It's just, it just created, of course. Got worse. Mess. It just got worse. So it, it, it's much worse. And so now you have people saying, well, Kyrie has all the leverage. I wouldn't give Kyrie Irving. We'll give him a dime. $250 million to save my life. <laughs> if LeBron it's wants him, God bless. But I wouldn't He's give him a dime. He's the only one who gets to convince that. And I'm not so sure LeBron's going to do that anyway. Because we'll LeBron see. knows what he's like firsthand. He does. All right, I'll talk to you later. Feel better. All right, John. Thanks. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Chuck Culpepper will join us when we return. More Masters Talk. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Sean Tweedley. This is a song called Alive Tonight. He's very good. Yes. He's really quite good. Michael, if people like Sean Tweedley want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyKornheiserShow.com. This plays in Chuck Culpepper, who was at the Masters. 
and I'm going to take a little longer than normal to set up this question, but I'm going to do it this way. John Rahm won, and John Rahm, after bogeying, double bogeying the first hole, was 14 under for the next 71 holes. It's a dominating performance. And people fell away, you know, and did not challenge him. Uh, guys finished over par, Hovland and Cantley and Kepka over par in the last round. But the two people on the Saudi tour that you would have thought had the best chance to win, Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson, were not involved at all. And yet three members of the Saudi tour, including the venerable Phil Mickelson, finished in the top four spots at the Masters that Rahm won. Setting it up that way, was this the result, or what was the result that golf wanted? Did they get what they wanted? I would say probably no, because I don't think they would want, you know, that that many yeah. of, of, of the live golfers in contention because it, you know, it brings all those complicated questions into it. And so the winner they wanted for sure. And, and one of those champions who's just so completely worthy, you know, but, um, but I would say that, 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 that kind of jumble at the top does, does make things kind of confusing and does, you know, stoke all the questions that maybe might've died down for a while. And, um, you know, makes it, makes the, the PGA live discussion come alive again. Yes. Does it change the dynamic at all? In other words, if you were to say, <clears throat> okay, Kepka fell away because he hadn't played 72 holes in a year. Phil and Reed hadn't played 72 holes in a year and they didn't fall away. So does this change the dynamic at all? Right. No, I don't think so. Um, and Kepka, um, you know, we used to, I used to think of him on Sundays as just, such a ironclad pick, you know, because he he did have those Sundays there in the late teens, where he handled some really really hard, way up there hard major challenges, you know, and won four of them. And then before Live existed, it started to that started to change somewhat. Uh, Harding Park in San Francisco in 2020 and Kiowa 2021, where Phil won. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't look at his performance and say that it's a, it's a result of the 54, uh, 50 hole, 54 hole phenomenon because it's been going on for a while now. Yeah. I was texting back and forth with someone yesterday about this <clears throat> when I thought that Kepka had a real good chance to win. I said, you realize he'd have five, he'd have yeah. five, like way out there in front of everybody else at that point. If he had five, he didn't, he did not get it. I don't know about his injuries. To me, I, I, I took this note, Chuck, that Phil Mickelson was the leader in the clubhouse at minus eight at 5.20 p.m., the leader in the clubhouse. And that's a remarkable tournament because he had no form coming into this thing, right? He'd been right. finishing 45th with the Saudi tour. It's, it's certainly <laughs> one of those things where you, you start to chalk it up at least some to the institutional knowledge, you know, being a three-time champion and yeah. knowing the place and maybe getting some sort of some sort of adrenaline from the place that you can't get elsewhere. But it really, it, you know, it was him of, you know, you just said of all people, really, you know. And, and then it had that really unusual thing you don't see at tournaments very often, which is, 
you know, he was, as you say, leader in the clubhouse, and 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 then the the leaders on the board actually had almost the entire back nine still to play. It yeah, was very unusual. Yeah, what was his reception like on the course? I would say those things are hard to gauge, but I would say it's it just seemed more more muted um, than than what we were accustomed to in the in the smiling thumbs up days. Yeah, you know of of your. And um and and having heard those sounds and and heard people calling his name, uh, you know, all through the year, first name all through the years, um, first name basis, you know, like Madonna or whatever. But um, he's he's it definitely seemed this time to be just a little softer and a little bit less enthusiastic. He is thinner. He is wearing sunglasses in the rain. Um, it almost looks like he is in witness protection. He is wearing some idiotic team shirt that nobody understands, probably including him. But at 18, when he made that birdie, he he took his hand and slammed it because he knew that he had he knew Chuck that he had accomplished something great, even if he didn't win. I thought. And the collection of birdies that he made, you know. That's a really hard collection to come by. You know, to birdie 17 and 18 coming yeah. in, you almost never see that. Yeah, 31 on the back nine. Um, I, th- I guess he did have a bogey or two early in the round, if I think of it. But it, but it just or maybe not. I can't remember. But he he just uh, the he played that course Sunday as no one else did, and it was it's just, it's just it's a round that you almost you know, wouldn't dare to dream about. Oh, I, I agree with that. And by the way, it's, it's, it's actually the right ending that he doesn't win. Because if he wins, the, it's the most incredible thing in the history of golf. And then we have to go back and we have to once again dissect everything that he said a year ago. You know, we got to go yeah. through it again and again and again, right? Yes, that's right. And, and at that moment when he finished... And Rom had to hold on to that lead. <laughs> there were real moments there when you had to entertain all of this, all this prospect that you know could wind up in a playoff or something like that, and that he actually <laughs> could be the winner and break his own record as oldest major winner, which stood for you know from 1968 to 2021. So yeah, and then and then oh. Yeah, just back to the old, you know, back to the old issues and discussions and statements and on the record, off the record and all that. Yeah, all Rom has to do is dunk a couple of shots, which happens. It happens on the back nine at at Augusta on a fairly regular basis. You could ask Rory about that. You could ask Spieth about that, I believe. How about Spieth? What are you doing? What are you doing you shoot yourself out of it early. A lot of these guys do that, and then they close very well, but it's it's not enough. I mean, it does seem to me that Scheffler, by and large, and Rahm most definitely, have separated themselves from the others. seems to me. Yes, for, yes, for sure. And I think it's not easy to do what Spieth did, you know, shoot 66 there yeah. On, yeah. on Sunday. But I think it's a bit easier than what Rahm did to, to have that, all that bubbling beneath you and, and to, to hold on to yourself. And, you know, you were saying uh, Rory and, and Spieth, and you look at all those, the players who 
hit it in the water at 12 with the year Tiger won in 2019. Yeah. You know, and so to hold it together bogey-free on the back nine, as Rom did, uh, knowing what had happened beneath him. And uh, so I don't want to diminish what, what Spieth did, but, you know, it's, it's people kid around about those late charges into high, into high places on the board for a reason. Um, it's not because it's, it's not because they haven't done a great job, but it's because it's easier than doing what Rom did. How is Rom viewed by other players? How is he viewed? Is he liked? Uh, oh, I think very much. He's, I think very liked, and I think he's one of those. Um, he's just he's good to people, you know. He's and that includes us, you know. We always appreciate if you try really hard to answer a question, which he always seems to do, mm-hmm. and just has this respectfulness about him that, you know, that sort of combines with his own fury at himself in the past on the course, you know, but, but which is, which does not in any way sort of dent his character or or override the fact that, that I think this is a hugely respected champion who, um, is great for the game there's um there was one hole maybe it was 14 i'm not exactly sure but i was watching it uh and my wife was sitting there and i said before he did the putt i said rom putts left to right better than anybody i've ever seen and that was that was that putt that was the birdie putt and it's over at that point unless he unless he just collapses it's over at that point um he appears to be you know, you don't want to say this because Rory appeared to be. Everybody appears to be at some point. But he appears to be significantly better than most, right? Yes, yes. And I think, you know, when Rory won at Valhalla and Louisville in 2014 and people who, who you know, really know the game thoroughly and, and have lived in the game and even former players were projecting double-digit majors for him, and this did not seem unreasonable at that moment. So that has taught me to kind of hang back. Yeah. I think, you know, I don't, I'm not sure we should. You, you want to say that Rom will, because of his temperament, because of his confidence his, and his thorough game, you want to say that he'll, you know, get up there in, in numbers. But um, there's a great golf writer named Jeff Rude who w- once told me that they're hard to win. And I never got that out of my head either. They are very hard to win. So, you know, if he doesn't win for a while, it's also not going to be surprising. What do you make of Rory? Rory, at, at, I, certainly at Augusta, but what do you make of Rory? Absolutely baffled. Just absolutely. That 77 on Friday and, and you know, on, on the good end of the draw in a lot of ways. And um, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And, you know, now we're on... 31 majors and like I just said I just said they're hard to win so but I don't know if they're this hard to win it's um it's just and you know he he usually would give us a uh, you know a, a good long interview answering everything that everybody asks at the end of something like that but he because of the nature of the way things went on Friday with the weather uh, he he went he went on off and you know, he didn't, I think as he walked off, he knew he had no chance to make the cut at five over. And so um, I, there's something about it that I, that I, I, I don't understand. And I don't think anybody understands. And I don't think maybe even he understands. 
Tiger withdrawing, was there any blowback on that? Was there any sense, no, you got to try to finish it out. You're Tiger Woods. I know it's painful. You got to try to finish it out. I, don't, I didn't hear any of that, and I think the reason you didn't hear it is because whew, just to look at him in those last moments, the course, yeah. as much as we've seen him going around in pain, that, that looked like a, a new dimension of it, a new realm. It just was, it really struck me how, how much it kind of like hit me in the gut, and I was trying to figure out why that was. You know, I don't... I don't know this person, you know, it's not, not in my family or anything, right. but um, there's something about it where I think it's probably from, you know, you, you look at that clip that they show all the time of the, the chip in 2005 with the great call by the great Vern Lundquist on 16. And, and, you know, you, you look at how kind of robust and dynamic he was and it's, and then to look at some of those scenes out there, you know, limping around, I think those sort of warded off any any words of uh, of you know disgruntlement that that he didn't finish. It's so nice of you to be on the show. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you more. Thank you so much, Chuck Culpepper. Wonderful, wonderful writer. We'll take a break. We will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. <laughs> Tony's mailbag at your emails, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Mr. Tony's mailbag on a reason for all of your folks. Thank you, Darius. You want to do the Bethesda bagel? Ed? We have hot bagels today as well as sandwiches. Yes, it was a great day for us from Bethesda bagels. Uh, you love Bethesda bagels. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Before and I, we Go ahead. Oh, I, I, I have this potential current lineup for the Beach Boys. Um, musical director Scott Totten, Brian Eckenberger, Christian Love, Tim Bonham, um, John Cousel, Keith Hubacker, and Randy Ligo. Not familiar. I with don't him. know. Maybe I, mean, I know Ka- someone named Love might be Mike Love's son, and somebody Cousel might be from the Cousel family. The Cousels, right? yeah, yeah, but that's don't know. Yeah, all right. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say you wake up in the morning, you hear the work bell ring, they march you to the table, you see the same old thing, ain't no foot upon the table, ain't no pork up in the pan, but you better not complain, boy, you get in trouble with a man. Let the midnight special shine a light on me, let the midnight special shine an ever-loving light on me. Johnny Rivers has the most famous version yes. of that, but there's a million versions of that. Yes. Thanks to our guest, Michael Wilbon, Chuck Culpepper, thanks to our sponsors, Michael with a great read, Me Undies, and then the email afterwards, uh, Butcher Box and Game Time. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get a show through Apple, please leave us. Nothing says Monday after the Masters like a Darius Jingle. Darius, Darius uh, Walker. And many, many thanks to Matt Abbottbull from Commonwealth Running uh, Commonwealth Running Company. I was just about to mention that. Oh, well, I just want to say before you, you get to that. What are you wearing on your shoes? I'm uh, wearing <laughs> the, uh, the brand new Bondi 8s. Dad embarrassed me. And um, yeah, as, a, as an almost man, yes. Thanks Thank to you, my Matt. dad for uh, for reaching out on my behalf. I I have almost two inches of lift Ooh. wearing these new Hoka's. That's that. great. Hoka One One. Is that how it works? Commonwealth <laughs> Running Company. From Tyler Etchin, kid. That's in Evanston. Yes. Wilbon's home. One of Wilbon's And the homes. box said for <laughs> Michael, not Tony. I know, absolutely. <laughs> Tyler Etchin Camp in Lincoln, Nebraska. Dear Dr. Tony, are there any Rivians in Revere? <laughs> I saw a Rivian the other day at the beach. Did you approach the red them? one? No, no, no. I was driving. You know, I was driving. It I had stopped you before. 
Jim Fleming, Garrett Park, Maryland. I'm a 73-year-old lifetime Lakers fan, so out of respect, I waited a while before adding my two cents about Willis Reed in Game 7. Watching on television in L.A., I was hoping now that Bill Russell was out of the picture, and with Will Chamberlain, Jerry West, and Elgin Baylor, we could finally win a championship there for beating being beaten by the Lakers six times in eight years, so I was crushed when Willis Reed took the court for that game, and the crowd reacted like Moses had parted the Red Sea. <laughs> After he hit those first two shots, I knew it was over, and indeed, the Knicks led by 27 at halftime. As you noted, it's rare that dignity is the first word that comes to mind about a star athlete, but that's the first word on Willis Reed, a class act, a true leader. All I can say is respect. Oh, that in the 1972 finals. A concluding fun fact, which you know, of course, the left-handed Dick Barnett was a Laker and a Syracuse National before he was a Nick. I can still hear Chick Hearn referencing Barnett's distinctive falling back shooting style by exalting fallback, baby. It's in. From Mike. Uh, last week, you talked about the captain, as in Willis Reed, not Reed Kornheiser. You mentioned Nick Legend. Reed Rawlings. Three-term, <laughs> named after a baseball glove, three-term U.S. Senator Bill Bradley. Not only did I meet Bradley back in the 1990s, when my local D.C. bar band, Despondent Astronauts, was the entertainment. <laughs> That's, That's a great, great name. <laughs> at a fundraiser in Capitol Hill. All six five of Bradley sat behind my tiny drum kit after our set and reeled off perfect rim shots when whatever <laughs> speaker made a joke. It was more than a little surreal, but he could not have been nicer, and he was very funny. From you, Cole, I'm writing on behalf of the graduation planning committee at my alma mater, the University of Cash, to request that you consider being our graduation speaker this May and accepting an honorary doctorate of moolah, or MD. Fellow members of the committee and respected alumnus Kendrick Perkins had nothing but high praise when recommending you for this honor. Previous speakers have included tennis legend Pat Cash, Brewers outfielder Don Money, Yankees GM Brian Cashman, Tampa Bay manager Kevin Cash, and John Feinstein. Randy Moss was last year's honored recipient, given that you have previously expressed your interest in cash. Straight cash, homie. We hope that you will consider our offer and come back for more. Unfortunately, we cannot offer transportation to the campus, a place to stay overnight or any meals, but we always pay in straight cash, homie. <laughs> from Mike Limerick, at a trial this week, I was tasked with explaining an adverse party's motivation for conducting its business in a certain way. I thought you would like to know that when I offered that explanation, I gave proper attribution to both you and Don Olmeyer. You might also be happy to learn that no one in the courtroom responded, who's that? Apparently, folks around here know who the PTI guy is. And now you can add cited in an Indiana state court to your many accolades. If the position isn't already taken, with all respect to my fellow little Chris Bay, or Chris Bai, rather, I'd like to toss my name in as official Indianapolis business litigator of the Tony Kornheiser Show, which is very nice. Tony Beeson made mention in the new um, Alley Cat restaurant of a mural downstairs, and I thought that would be nice to talk about. Here's a couple of one in a millions, um, and then I'll get out of here on, on these. They're long, but they're always good. This is from KG in Atlanta. Longtime fan from the radio show and PTI in this podcast. I even have a copy of Back for More Cash. When I was 12 years old, my mother was working at a junior college in Illinois. The basketball coach approached her about housing a player from overseas. She agreed, and that summer Andy moved in. His career picked up quickly, and he would go on to be recruited by bigger programs, settling on Illinois to be close to us, his new family. To this day, he is still family, even if I have to refer to him as my foreign exchange student brother. To new people, since they usually look confused when a short, chunky, pasty guy simply calls a six-foot-nine-inch Nigerian his brother, or his kids, my niece and nephew. Side note one, Andy has played against both Akeem Olajuwon and Shaq during his career. 
versus the dream in Nigeria and Shackett, Illinois. He has photos blocking a shot of each of them. I'm guessing that may be more than one in a million. Side note too, his son went on to play at Vermont for two years and thus got to play against Binghamton. A transfer in pandemic later, he started, he finished at Purdue-Fort Wayne this season, where he finished tied for 10th in offensive rebounds in the country. Forward a dozen years and I was struggling to get into the radio industry. I took a chance to go overseas and even though it didn't work out as I hoped, my resume does get to include being a radio DJ in Lagos, Nigeria. Eight years later, I was living in Wisconsin and met the woman who is now related to me by marriage. Turns out she is half Nigerian, even lived over there for a few years when she was a child. So a guy who grew up in the country to have a connective thread of Nigeria running through his life seems to be one in a million. Luckily, no Nigerian prince scam stories have been there in my life. From John, we have these. Oops. Okay. From John Marston in Arlington, Virginia. Another one in a million for you. I'm from a town of 1,908 people on the prairie of Minnesota. The town is called Mountain Lake. It is the complete middle of nowhere. About 40 years ago in Mountain Lake, my brother Tom bought a Kawasaki dirt bike off a kid in town whose name was Scott Barber. Scott was the only son of the high school guidance counselor, and they only lived in our town for 17 years. That's a short run for a family in Mountain Lake. <laughs> Fast forward to today. I'm out in Orange, Virginia to see a client at a facility there. I'm a criminal defense lawyer, and although I don't usually make house calls, I do make big house calls. <laughs> Remind me next time that I need to tell you how, uh, how I know Sam Neill and talk with him fairly frequently. The connective tissue is strong. Anyway, I'm killing some time in Orange, Virginia, and I remember there's a motorcycle shop about 10 miles up the road in Unionville, Virginia. I go into the shop. I'm looking around. A salesman comes up. He starts talking to me about dirt bikes I'm interested in. I have very hobbies and enjoy a little danger, Tony, very much like yourself. He tells me how he once rode all the way around Lake Superior in one 24-hour period, and I said, wow, hey, I'm from Minnesota, which, of course, touches the lake. He said, yeah, well, I'm from Minnesota, too. I said, really, where? He said, you've never heard of it. Small town in the southwestern part of the state, not too far from Worthington. I said, really? What town? I'm from there. He said, oh, yeah, I'm from Mountain Lake. I said, shut up. You're not. He said, yeah, I grew up there. My name is Scott Barber. <laughs> Obviously, I had to buy the motorcycle on the spot. <laughs> yes, you have to. Oh, uh, Andre Pinero in northern Portugal. I've been a fan of PTI for several years, both on ESPN and as a podcast when I can't see it but only recently started listening to your podcast. And it was a really pleasant surprise to hear during one of the promos, uh, Priceline, I believe, that he has fond memories of a trip to Portugal in 1992. Yes. Being such a small country, it's always nice for us to hear, see or hear someone famous talk about our little rectangle on the southwest corner of Europe. We've grown quite a bit since then, becoming one of Europe's most technologically advanced countries. And although I know Tony is not so keen on making big trips anymore, maybe he can come check out how we are 30 years after that. We've become quite the spot for older Americans to come enjoy their retirement. There's a lot of expats there. Yeah, I've heard about yeah, that. It's, yeah, that's yeah, true. I just want to thank you for the reference, which is much better than knowing the several scenes of the upcoming Fast 10 were shot here. Keep up the good work. I'll keep enjoying PTI and the TK show. And from Bernie in Fort Lauderdale, the original mascot of FAU, Florida Atlantic, were the burrowing owl, owls because those cute critters had to be removed to build the campus back in Florida's version of ancient history, 1961. <laughs> burrowing owls, baby. If you're out on your bike side, everyone, as always, do wear white. You so long. <laughs> and then. <laughs> I'm all out of advice for you. Try to say something nice, but well, that would be untrue. 
the room is spinning And they're all grinning At me Just watch the road You never know What you can see You live inside your head You got to move out soon Was it something I said Try to read the room All of the things That we said we would try to do Like climb a hill And carve our names into that tree You seek the thrill You say life is short I disagree The sounds of sirens Made you run And now I'm all out of advice
nobody's gonna stay inside tonight We're gonna break on through And everything will come alive tonight What's gonna come of you? Say it ain't true Say it ain't true Everything will be alright tonight We're gonna start anew Nobody's gonna stay inside tonight We're gonna break on through And everything will come alive tonight What's gonna come of you? Say it ain't true Say it ain't true 